What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 11th episode of The Roundabout, celebrating 15 years of the Xbox 360. My name is Ryan Turford, and this is the show where we're counting down the months to the 15-year anniversary of the Xbox 360 with 50 of the best games to play on the console for both new and experienced owners. We dive into the brief history of each game and talk about what makes them awesome. As always, we'd love your feedback on the show over on Twitter at the Xbox Drive, or you can reach out to me directly at Ryan Turford, that's T-U-R-F-O-R-D, because everybody always asks. On this week's episode, we journey back to World War II in Call of Duty 2, released on November 22nd, 2005, and if that date sounds familiar, well, obviously we're going back to the launch of the 360. It was my most anticipated game to pick up along with my console on launch day after being a huge fan of the original Call of Duty, which launched back in 2003 on PC. Luckily, the game did not disappoint, and it was a fantastic game from top to bottom that became the blueprint for the rest of the series going forward. But before we get too far into this, let's talk about the origins of the Call of Duty series and talk about how the original vision compares to the series today. The original core 21 members of the development team formed Infinity Ward back in 2002, while the members were working with EA on Medal of Honor Allied Assault. In fact, uh, many of the, the company's founders, including Vince Zampella, uh, were in some of the bigger positions on the development team for that game. Uh, so it was really interesting when they kind of made the shift uh, to Infinity Ward um, after some contract disputes and other issues. The company was provided $1.5 million for a 30% stake in the company from Activision so they could start development on Call of Duty. However, the vision for the game is very different from their previous work. At the time, there was a sense among first-person shooters that they all had the player feel like a one-man army, including most World War II games at the time, though there were some exceptions to this, um, including in more of like the simulation-style uh, games, like more like stuff like Sniper Elite uh, and games like that. Um, and yeah, there was a ton of World War II games at the time. Um, Medal of Honor, of course, was just one of the biggest series at the time, but there were just a ton of World War II games, and uh, it kind of felt played out, uh, which is why eventually you saw a of Duty go to the modern warfare setting um, just a couple games later. The team wanted to bring the big action set pieces of the Medal of Honor series while also making the player feel like victory was a joint effort between them and their AI counterparts. The original game was successfully created based on this vision, leaning more into the simulation style while also having big moments across all three campaigns, the Americans, the British, and the Russian. It kind of blended the sense of arcadiness with simulation, and while we've seen modern Call of Duty kind of go more toward arcadiness, definitely there were, it was trying to be much more grounded and realistic with the original game. One of the most memorable missions from the original game was the Battle of Stalingrad, as you and other Russian forces storm the beach to retake it from the Germans. What makes this mission so memorable is you either start the mission randomly with either a rifle ammo or a rifle with no ammo. This forces you to rely on the AI squad mates to assist you while avoiding machine gun fire as you search for the missing item so you can fight back. And really, if you had the, the gun, you had to try and desperately search corpses for ammo. Or likewise, if you didn't have a gun, you had to try and find one anywhere. And uh, it was just a really interesting way to tackle a mission. It perfectly encapsulated the design vision of Call of Duty and made you feel like you were in the battle. And yeah, this was uh, kind of played out just like the real Battle of Stalingrad, where the Russian forces really just didn't have the money uh, to invest in each one of their soldiers having a rifle and ammo, you know, so uh, you kind of had to scrounge around for, for stuff. And even if you did find some ammo, 
you only had like five or six shots because again, someone might've used it in another gun. So you might find like three bullets. So you really had to kind of conserve your ammunition and really think about when you were going to use it. With Call of Duty 2, the team tried to improve this formula by adding some quality of life features to make the game more accessible, while also trying to add some non-linearity to the gameplay. Gone were the health packs from the first game, and replaced with regenerating health. The grenade indicator was also added in addition to smoke grenades, which aided the player in not being seen by the enemy. These are staples in the design of modern Call of Duty games, and I remember at the time that while Call of Duty 2 wasn't the first to have regenerating health, it started a trend across first-person shooters to make sure it was included, since there were many were still using health packs at the time. And I, yeah, I remember that this was like, this started a huge trend, like most first-person shooters, unless your name was Halo, had health packs, because Halo 2 had gone to regenerating health um, tied in with your shields, uh, versus games like Half-Life 2, for example, which just required you to find health packs everywhere. So this was definitely a shift for the industry uh, with the release of Call of Duty 2. And, and ever since then, really many of them haven't gone back to health packs. Even Call of Duty went back to health packs, but then quickly went away for a bit again. Call of Duty 2's single-player campaign blew me away at the time of release. Similar to the first game, you play as a British, Russian, and American soldier at three different stages of the conflict, though this time around, in favor of storytelling, you didn't switch between campaigns at will, but missions played out in order by date. And yeah, in the first game, you could uh, basically se select what campaign you wanted to do, and it would, of course, warn you not to play the Russian Broadway right away because it's the hardest one, uh, but you could do it in any order if you wanted to, whereas this game, it was trying to tell one cohesive story, and it was really refreshing when coming from the first game to go and do it this way, and I think they made the right choice. Battles take place in Russia, Africa, and the French countryside, with some great location and mission variety. In fact, you're not really staying in one place for too, too long. It lingers a little bit in the Africa sections uh, with the British, but for the most part, you're go changing pretty regularly between levels, uh, similar to a game like Modern Warfare, where you were going between Soap and the American soldier, whose name I'm forgetting at the time, and uh, it was you're not really playing as one soldier in one area consistently, so it was good for a variety of reasons. It put you right in the middle of some of World War II's biggest battles, including D-Day, and it was during these sequences that the game's impressive scale was on display, especially in comparison to what we were used to from games at the time. And yeah, this was one of the very first times where I basically said out loud the phrase, whoa, man, this is next gen, because one of the things that the 360 was really touting at the time of release was having impressive unit numbers, essentially having a ton of stuff on screen at once on screen effects, ton of enemies, uh, things like that. In fact, a game that really was a big showcase for that was Dead Rising, because, so much so that it broke 360s because a lot of them uh, red ringed after after playing Dead Rising, but uh, Call of Duty 2 in particular, in the D-Day mission, you start off on the beach, but as you look up the hillside, you can just see a ton of troops with machine guns uh, up there on the hill, and you can even see a little bit past that as well, like the draw distance was super far, like it really made you feel like you were in that battle, in comparison to games on the original Xbox or PS2 at the time, where just didn't have that sense of scale that, that you were looking for, so even if you had a, a uh, SDTV at time at the time because a lot of people hadn't made the jump to HDTVs. I didn't really make the jump to an HDTV until uh, after a little bit after the game came out. 
Um, so you didn't really notice too much in the graphical department if you didn't have an HDTV, but you certainly noticed the scale uh, difference, like things like that really impressed. While I'd say that the campaign doesn't hold up super well today, it is still probably, in my opinion, one of the best Call of Duty campaigns overall. I mean, a lot of the later ones like Black Ops or Modern Warfare or even the newer, newer Modern Warfare campaigns are uh, a lot better, in my opinion. I do think that it's better than some of the other ones like Black Ops 2, for example, um, or Advanced Warfare or something like that. However, one of Call of Duty 2's best features is one that most people today probably won't be able to check out, which is the game's multiplayer. It has all the modes you'd expect from a Call of Duty game, including Capture the Flag, Headquarters, and Team Deathmatch, but what's refreshing about it is it's Call of Duty's multiplayer in its purest form. There's no sprinting, no killstreaks, no progression system, and no paid DLC weapons or cosmetics. While this may seem simplistic, its perfectly balanced weapons and maps make for a fun experience that I sunk a ton of time into. Call of Duty was easily one of my most played Xbox 360 games, as I personally spent over 300 plus hours with the game's multiplayer, as my girlfriend at the time, my cousin, and I used to play pretty much every chance we got, but we made some awesome lifelong friends along the way. In fact, it's it's kind of funny because my cousin Andrew uh, would basically, like over the summer, he would kind of just live at my place, just on the couch. He would just come over all the time and, and play games with me. And this was one of the games where literally like every time he was over, we were playing Call of Duty multiplayer online with people. Um, and actually, I, I met my girlfriend who I mentioned at the time uh, through Call of Duty as well. We were playing randomly one time and we were talking in voice chat and then, you know, that that's uh, how we met, which is hilarious. Uh, and we used to play all kinds of games together. And Call of Duty 2 in particular was just one of the really special multiplayer experiences for me on Xbox Live. Uh, again, just made a ton of friends playing it and just had a ton of really fun games of Call of Duty multiplayer. Um, the other game we used to play as a group a lot was uh, Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter as well. Uh, but man, Call of Duty 2 multiplayer was so fun and it's hard to even describe in this. Again, it's very simplistic, but sometimes it's really fun to go back and and, and play that, especially because, again, the, the weapon balance and the way the maps are set up, uh, it, it, there was a lot of care put into that, whereas you don't really see a lot of that today. Um, or as much of it, I should say. I mean, there are games with a lot of care put into their multiplayer, but it wasn't a game of service. There's no RPG elements or no XP or anything like that. Um, it was just multiplayer in its purest form, which is awesome. While you're unlikely to find a game today, if you have some friends together who have a copy of the game, the multiplayer servers are still running for the game, so there's still an opportunity to revisit it if you want to check it out for yourself. Again, it's a ton of fun, but again, if you try and sit and play by yourself, you're not going to be able to find a person to play with. So uh, it's cool, though, that Activision's really kept the servers on for pretty much all the Call of Duty games. I kind of find that through my research, especially on PC as well, where uh, they basically it's all peer to peer uh, for a lot of them. So you're mostly just matching up with whoever else has the game. And there's still a tight make community on PC for a lot of these games as well, whereas on Xbox, there just aren't as many people playing this. Call of Duty 2 was also my very first game that I 1000 gamer scored and that was then that I decided to mainly chase the 1000 gamer score for games that I truly loved, something of which I still do today with games. I mean, if I have a thousand gamer score, there is the odd uh, game uh, like King Kong or uh, Madden 06 or um, some other games that uh, some other modern games that I have the thousand gamer score that it wasn't because uh, it was because it was easy and not because 
I had, was super passionate about it. But games like Mass Effect, for example, I went and got the thousand gamer score, uh, Elder Scrolls Four, Oblivion, like a lot of those games. I just those were games I just fell in love with. Um, so that was the reason why I have the full gamer score for those games. While the character models and environments are starting to show their age and some of the mission design is a little rough around the edges, Call of Duty 2 is still worth revisiting today. If you're looking to pick up Call of Duty 2 today, it's available digitally on Xbox 360 and is backwards compatible on Xbox One, and that includes the multiplayer, so you can actually jump into it on Xbox One if you want. That's all for this episode of The Roundabout. You can hit me up on Twitter anytime, at Ryan Turford. You can also find the pants man himself, Sean Capri, on Twitter, at Sean Capri, and you can find us on Twitter, at The Xbox Drive. Thank you so much for listening to The Roundabout, and we out. Bye.